This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week, you and I dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders, and we find out how this movement truly came to be. This show is powered by the BlockWorks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network, including mine. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io. With that, today's guest is Caroline Chan, the CEO of CoinMarketCap. And oh boy, what a crazy show we had for you today. I actually didn't know that the founder of CoinMarketCap back in 2013 emailed me asking for a job and I actually turned him down. I almost wish I hired him, but I'm happy I didn't because CoinMarketCap would have never existed. We had some great conversations talking about uh, the different type of metrics and what are people buying and selling right now? What are they doing? What is going on in the market? What are the different cryptos they're buying? How are they buying it? We went under the hood, we dove deep, and we got the data, the demographics, the data and the demographics, the education and the entertainment. I just sort of wrap with Caroline of CoinMarketCap. You guys are going to love this show. I'll talk to you guys just right in a minute. I'm here today with CEO of CoinMarketCap, Caroline Chan. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. This is the second time we're talking. The last time um, we chatted a few weeks ago, it was uh, Coin Market Caps. Sorry, it was Binance third third anniversary, anniversary. and Coin yeah. Market Cap was like just coming into the to the Binance fold. Um, yeah. And you were you working at Binance before before the whole acquisition? Not at all. Um, okay. Before the acquisition, like CMC was totally independent, so we sort of just merged like on April 1st. So like before that, it was just a lot of, you know, conversations around how do we transition and stuff like that. So yeah, not at all at Binance before that point. One of the things people looked at um, when when Binance bought CMC was like its independence. And a lot of people yeah. are happy that, you know, you're the CEO, you're the inter- interim CEO because you were there beforehand. Um, have, yes. you, have you internally had to struggle with that? You know, because not... At the actual struggle, but the messaging struggle, because what you can't say and what you can say, uh, it must be stressful at times. Definitely. I think that's one of the big things that I was most anxious about, like before the acquisition um, kind of went public. I think one thing I wanted to assure everybody was that we would definitely still be independent operationally. Like all of us at CNC are still sort of the original team. so. Yeah, like I definitely do get a lot of questions though. Like, you know, how how true is this? Like yeah. how much influence have you guys gotten from Binance? Things like that. Um, I think it's inevitable with most like MAs that there will be some degree of like, you know, suggestions that are given to you. <laughs> like, for yeah. example, you can do this better, you can do HR, uh, that should be like a like finance should be a central function, things like that. Um so I think all of these are just like normal course of business things as with all sort of M&As. So yeah, like I think at least from a strategy perspective or like the way that we're running the business is still independent. Uh, although we have gotten obviously a, a bunch of suggestions and we've had to sort of yeah, sift of through and figure out. <laughs> and it's actually brought it more to light. You'll, you're seeing, you know, uh, more competition, healthy competition, uh, better yes. transparency, better disclosures. It's it's if anything, it's it boosts the economy. And so I've, I'm very bullish, but I'm not the only one bullish. The markets are crazy right now. And look, 
I know. It, it must tell you something <laughs> that this is episode 117 or something like that. And my listeners will tell yeah. you that we never talk about the markets. But the yeah. reason that I'm talking about it now is because usually markets are fleeting, right? I don't want to waste my time yeah. with the up and downs. I think now it's important to talk about what's going on because down the road, someone's listening to this episode in the future. They're going to say, oh, remember when Bitcoin went to a million dollars and Ethereum went to 20 yep. million, you know, 20,000 or I want to know what happened. Yep. They're going to listen to yep. this show. So yes, absolutely. Are, are you seeing um, there's two narratives that I that I want to uh, ask you, and it's kind of hard uh, for me to answer because you have the mm -hmm. data and you're looking at this in real time, so you can yep. kind of cut through. A lot of the narratives say that a, a, a crypto spring was coming in January, February, but COVID actually made it worse or it paused it. But now because of it, it actually is an accelerant or a booster. A lot of other people say Bitcoin does what it wants. It's a, it, you know, when I see Bitcoin, a crypto does what it wants. It exists on its own thing, its own spectrum. Uh, which way do you kind of see the wind blowing here for that? Looking at the data from back in January, February, I wouldn't say like there was a very big uptick. I think the big uptick that we saw started, started somewhere in July or end of June, I suppose. So I was just looking at the data earlier for like DeFi um, tokens. And it's like right now, like DeFi tokens are like 3.65% of like the total market cap value. Um, and it's only picked up in the last month or so. So I think there is that narrative that like, oh, there is certain sort of speculation and interest that has come about because of that. Um, I think the other narrative obviously is around the one that you mentioned, like with COVID, right? Um, people putting their stimulus checks in to buy Bitcoin, Square having 600% up in terms of revenue for Bitcoin, yeah. things like that. I think all of those things are obviously contributing to it because people have, you know, sort of, an entry point now and then they go and do more stuff with it and, and they find out more about what's happening. So I would say this is a, quite a recent run up based on the data that I see, both in terms of market cap and in terms of the page views that we're seeing, like what people are interested in, what's uh, where the interest has been going. So How has far. that changed? So, like what what is the typical page view when someone comes to the site? Do they search? Do they click around? Has that changed? This is really cool. Yeah, so the funny thing I think with CMC is that a lot of our users are longtime users. So a lot of them come to the page and just leave it on for like ever. <laughs> you I think just I'm refresh one of those the people. page. <laughs> Probably. So um so a lot of it's like the front page. But I do see like some other popular pages that people immediately go to. After that, obviously it's like watch list is the top one. But I think over the last Two years or so, like we've seen sort of an inversion, like XRP gets more page views than BTC uh, in recent times. I think it's more like... Well, because Bitcoiners aren't checking the price every five seconds. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. Recently, I have a metric I that you should add yeah. to, to your site that's yeah. that's only... But I have to own the metric and you guys can't... I don't want to tell you Charlie's right metric. now. No, it's, <laughs> it's called TIL. It's Token Investor Loyalty Metric. So I have this mm. theory that I believe you guys can use it if you want, but I believe that, yep. and, I, and I've and i actually tracked this on my own. I have my own internal spreadsheets and people have asked me to, <laughs> yep. and I show I show it to people and you know everyone can, but I believe that, and it's it's a largely unquantifiable thing, but I, I believe that that uh, a coin or token's existence is one of the biggest 
uh, factors on its long-term like price effects and things like that because it's mere exists. Mm-hmm. The fact that it still exists and it's here today. So simply like the time factor of a token, you know, smart contract yes. existence overlay with the price, you'll see a very interesting kind of overlay there. Yeah, I think we should no, prioritize someone's gonna be, that. <laughs> someone's going to be like, like drawing it out right now. G-I-L by Charlie. <laughs> but so you were telling me like, uh, for example, Ripple has more has more page views than, than Bitcoin does uh, in that situation. That's very interesting. Um, yep. Right now, do you think 2020 is the year of the yield? Or is that what really pushed this forward? Is that everyone was just looking for yields and percentages? I think it probably is that and also something a little bit more meta than that. It's just like people have been looking for sort of an inflection point where, you know, like everyone's looking for the spring, right? So I think when there was momentum, a lot of people sort of caught on to that momentum. They started trading a lot more. And I think because of that interest, like actually it snowballed into more interest as well. That's basically what we're seeing. It's like there was that point where it's like yield, yes, but because of sort of the, the DeFi craze and sort of the hype around it, we see more people coming in because like last year, we actually launched this product called Interest, right? So basically it is a way for you to find other platforms that you can get yield from, but there wasn't really like tokens or um, sort of hype surrounding that as much. So we didn't see an inflection at that point, but I think at this point, because of the hype, like we do see more people coming in. So I think it's a mix of both of those reasons, as far as I can tell. It's very interesting that 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 happened, but uh, there wasn't a huge interest back then. Um, are people buying? Do you see? Do you see people buying um, these tokens and coins for like farming? Can you can you explain to me what farming is? <laughs> I don't know if I'd be qualified to explain what farming. Well, it's is, like you're farming for yams. Yeah. People are farming for yams. It's yeah. just another crazy thing exactly. in the DeFi craze. But do you think? Are people buying these coins and tokens for like the long-term holdability of it? Um, or, you know, at the first sign of like an issue, do you think uh, a lot of these coins and tokens where you're getting these crazy yields, people will run back to a stable coin or to like the Bitcoin or Ethereum? I do think that it is largely driven by speculation. This is my personal opinion, just looking at the data because of like just how quickly it has gone and like speaking to obviously a bunch of our analysts on the team looks like it is mainly around like speculation and not necessarily like a long-term kind of thing. But I think all of us are of the opinion that it will eventually um, go to a point where all of these different types of uh, tokens, right? For example, like oracles or like borrowing lending, stablecoin governance, uh, adaptive base money, or like uh, these like DEXs, um, things like that. Like all of these are part of the ecosystem right now and with all these tokens associated to it. So I think like in the long term, it will develop into something that is a lot more stable and will actually sort of form the, the large stream that people have around decentralized finance. But I think right now as it is, I think it's, Seems to be largely driven by speculation. Sort of uh, get a similar feeling as yeah. DNC as uh, well, back in the day, like 2017, 2018. It's, I think it, you do get a lot of the same feelings, but the fact that we're even talking about it and comparing it to that, I don't think it is that. Um, it's a lot different now because a lot of the yes. DeFi craze, um, I'm not going to say people are smarter, but 
Um, <laughs> it's very different than buying like a token yeah. that just it was like pure speculation. Um, yes. Yeah, this so, is a lot more involved for sure. So you kind of need to know how it works. And we spent a lot of time trying to explain sort of like yields on our blog, like how does it work and stuff like that. Like users sort of write into us saying that, you know, I've been burned looking at this because I didn't realize, you know, what yeah. a rebase is or like how this works or like, you know, how do I, how to balance my, my yields and stuff like that. Exactly. People are asking <laughs> so it's a lot more they, complicated. <laughs> they wake up and the amount of tokens they have halves the next morning, they all think it was stolen, yeah. but really the smart contract yeah. rebased or whatever. Um, exactly. But that's interesting because how we think about money and value is changing. Imagine if we told you that the dollars you had in your bank account or the euros or the yen or whatever, imagine if like every night at midnight, based on the economy of the country or the economy of the economy or whatever, your value <laughs> can go up or down based on other metrics. Exactly. Like it's just a, but let me, let me tell you something now, because of what's going on, I think people are more open-minded to things like this. So let mm. me ask you a question. Let's go back in time a little bit. You, 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 you have a, a crazy long work history uh, and you you started your career working at some some really, really big companies that I want to ask you a lot about, but we don't have time. Um, let's. I want to talk about American Express. So you were involved there, um, the launch of a new card. And, and, and from doing my research, you were involved in the economies of a credit card. What are the economies of a credit card? How do we look at the value? How do we as consumers, how are we looking at that uh, like from the other side? Tell us like from the inside what that looks like. Yeah, I think at a very basic level, what happens is, you know, with a card, there is an issuer and then there is um, like the bank that issues it. So that's kind of the partnerships between like the issuer, which is like Amex or Visa or MasterCard, et cetera, right? So I think that's kind of like they have a relationship and they um, that's kind of how you have one side of the fees. And then um, for the merchants, obviously, that's the other side of it. So when you buy something, um, you use a card or you now have... Um, the card not present transactions. Yeah, yeah exactly. So card not present transactions. Um, that's basically, you know, like the relationship. So from a user's perspective, I know earlier we were talking a little bit about like miles and things like that. So like how that gets paid for really is like there is um, that nexus, like the basis points that they kind of give between like different rewards yeah. between the issuer, between the issuing bank as well as the merchant and how much they pay for it. So for example, Amex is, can give you a lot better sort of loyalty rewards because they do charge a higher um, sort of premium on their subscription every year, your annual fees. And also at the same time, they charge a higher premium on the fees for each transaction as well. So um, it really depends on the market too, but it can be like, you know, between two to 4% in total for different um, different markets, different sort of cards and things like that. So yeah, the issuer pays, uh, plays a very big role. So Amex being in this case, um, it does charge their premium, which people are willing to pay because they do get pretty good rewards out of it. So for example, like, you know, priority um, tables at restaurants you like, mm. better miles, better experiences that you can get out of it. So uh, in a sense, you are paying for it with that kind of higher uh, premium uh, that you pay every year in the annual fee, but also at the same time, um, the merchant and every transaction does kind of account for those as well. So I think when I first started there, I thought it was really interesting because like 
we don't think about it as consumers. Like, how does this, uh, how do your rewards come about? And like, why do Amex cards uh, get sort of value more than the other uh, card issues out there? So yeah, like definitely something that... What's the answer? Yeah. What's the answer? Um, it's, it is all of that stuff that I mentioned. So it's like, because of all the stuff that they do on like, higher yeah. premiums, better rewards and all that, which is funded by the annual fee as well as the percentage that they charge every transaction. So that really makes up um, why they can afford all of these things for the end card user, but also makes the reason why a lot of merchants don't accept them outside of the US because it's just more expensive. So more people are actually just choosing like MasterCard or, or Visa. So I think sort of penetration... Um, across different merchants can vary across countries quite significantly. So I, I do see that as well um, back then. Do you think uh, we can ever tokenize airline miles? Is that something that could happen? I definitely think so. I mean, I'm mean, i surprised no one's done it yet. Like, exactly. Like when I first like, like came into the space, I was like, I always thought that like someone should have just done that two miles. I'm not sure why no one has done it. Maybe there's just like too much legacy or like a lot of compliance issues or things like that. Or it's it's because open-ended. So yeah. I looked yeah. into it like, uh, you know, potentially tokenizing American Express like member rewards or whatever and chase mm -hmm. ultimate rewards. But the problem is in those, in those networks, um, it's close-ended. So they control, they're the issuer. They can yes. take it away from you. They control everything. Or if yes. they tokenized it, it would be completely you know, open-ended like, like Bitcoin and crypto. And in fact, the open-ended close-endedness close of, of money was, yep. was the American government's first kind of like differentiator between crypto and everything else and like gift cards. Yep. In fact, I remember yep. pleading my case in, in front of the judge and, and having mm -hmm. that debate because uh, I was like, what's the difference between Bitcoin and airline miles and gift cards? And the answer is is the open ended versus closed endedness of it, mm -hmm. and there's no issue or situation. But mm -hmm. how is that different from like permissioned blockchains or like a hyperledger type of situation? That's what I need to figure out too. Mm. So I think like with permissioned ones like that should be pretty close as long as they hold sort of the governance of it. So in that case, like they might not see as much upside or like as much difference as if it was a real sort of open versus closed system. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's what it comes down to. So uh, now that you guys are, are part of the, the finance whole ecosystem and world, how are you, what, what are some things that you've been wanting to do that you couldn't do, but now you have the resources to do you're doing, or you can do. Uh, I think that's an interesting question. So, um, obviously, for a couple of months before the acquisition concluded, there were um, quite a lot of things that we wouldn't get around doing because, you know, normal course of business and like all of that, you want to make like significant changes to the business uh, leading up to an acquisition. So I think there was kind of a pent up thing that we wanted to do a bunch of things that we have done so far. So, for example, chat, like Charlie, you were on our chat. Yeah. I think you were our first guest on the AMA <laughs> series. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, that was one of it. And that was sort of part of, part of the plan that we had to make CNC a lot more multiplayer and not so single player, right? Like you just go to CNC and you just look at the prize on your own, but yeah. it's like, instead of going somewhere else, like you want to 
uh, stay on CNC and and actually sort of interact with other people in the community. So I think that was a that was a big one for us. Um, some of the other ones obviously are more like tactical based on why we see, we see the market going. So like DeFi, we identified that pretty early on, but we only sort of implemented that um, like two months ago ish. And um, I think general strategy wise, like a big thing that I've noticed is a lot of people come to me and say that they're new to crypto. And when they land on the site, they have no idea where to begin. Like, how do you start? Um, and so we're going to do like, obviously a lot more content, a lot more interesting ways to lead people down, um, sort of interesting ways to get into crypto. So for example, like fiat on ramps, like, you know, listing those on the side, things like that. So I wouldn't say there's necessarily anything that we couldn't have done before the acquisition. I think it was more of like, after the acquisition concluded, we finally uh, had the latitude to do everything that we wanted to do um, before the acquisition concluded. So I think that was mainly it. And I suppose the, the question that a lot of people ask as well is, will we think about adding more transactional or um, just sort of more integrated experiences with other exchanges, finance included, but also other uh, potential exchanges that we could partner with as well, just to make it a lot easier for people to just get the end-to-end experience on CNC. Um, that's definitely something that's come up quite a lot um, as part of the sort of talk around what we should do next and things like that. But yeah, like I don't think there is anything uh, per se because CFC was profitable um, as as a business ever before the acquisition. So I think so like sort of resource-wise... It's fine. <laughs> CMC was uh, a passive site for years and completely existed. And, you know, for yeah. for for lack of a better term, um, its legacy was cemented in crypto history, uh, CoinMarketCap. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and honestly, if I was the CEO of, of CoinMarketCap, um, you know, financials aside, I'd be pretty happy with that. Um, as like yeah. my legacy, you know, in, in the space. And so now here you're saying like, no, um, we're going to completely pivot and go, not pivot, but go from saying we want to now have someone stay on CMC and not just stay, but interact. It's a very difficult thing to do. You're changing people's like whole perception. So it's not just like chat and AMA and things like that. But yeah. what other things can you do or will you do that other people are doing that you want to do to now keep those type of users? Yes, correct. So really like following the user down the user journey, basically, and understanding where do they go before CNC? Where did they go after CNC? I think that's sort of adjacently expanding to things that they use and fulfilling that need directly on the site, right? So sort of like, yeah, CMC was obviously part of the annals of um, crypto for like years, right? Yeah. And I'm sure like you could, you could tell us a little bit more like when you first remembered seeing it and, and things like that. Um, yeah, so I, I think... The first five coins was... were like Bitcoin, <laughs> Namecoin. Yep. Uh, I don't even... Peercoin, <laughs> Feathercoin, right? Was one of them? Yes. There's no question that crypto and gaming have gone hand in hand since the early days of Bitcoin when it first launched. And in fact, that's what really drove mass adoption. 
Companies like BitCasino, which is the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, and brands like Sportsbet.io. I mean, it's the reason people are using crypto and Bitcoin today. Fun, fast, and fair. When you're using uh, blockchain-based gaming, make sure you require that they are fair because there's no reason that they shouldn't be transparent because everything can be seen on the blockchain. Coin gaming is so cool. It's an ecosystem of brands, products, and people that are serious not just about shaking up the gaming industry, but also the crypto industry. These guys have been around since the early days of Bitcoin. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually mine for Bitcoin and, and use the Bitcoin miner to heat his home in Estonia. I mean, those go down to like negative 25 degrees. So if you're, if you're cool about driving crypto awareness together, if you got a question or you just want to connect with your team of like dreamers and doers, the whole community, make sure you check them out coingaming.io, play some of their games, sportsbet.io, or BitCasino, fun, fast, and fair. I'm Charlie Sherman. We'll talk to you guys right in a minute. I don't even know what Feathercoin (laughs) did. I don't even... There's one coin that I wish succeeded, and it was actually one of... Namecoin. No, it was actually Namecoin. So it was funny that... that, Namecoin, uh, yeah. (laughs) Namecoin was the first coin that I said... Okay, now I see why there should be another coin other than Bitcoin. And it was Namecoin. Yeah. And everyone's probably saying, what yeah. are you talking about, Charlie? So go, let's go back like eight years ago. Namecoin's yeah. whole premise was like, Bitcoin's great and it does great things. Um, yeah. We want to have decentralized DNS. So like the ability to have any domain name, yeah. you know, anyone could choose their domain names. And and the way that would work would, would be using Bitcoin's technology, but it would be a fundamentally different type of software, fundamentally different type of everything. So that's why it was yeah. comp- like it was... And that was great, and and I love that. I miss that. It it was too it was too early. If Namecoin launched now with like yes. Tim Draper backing it and Mike Novogratz, it would kill it. And CZ, you know, it would be great. I agree. <laughs> Someone should redo Namecoin Classic or something. Would you do it? <laughs> no, I wanted. To, I have I have a um a social experiment idea coin that I thought about. Do actually came. I I wrote the white paper when I was in prison many years ago. For this coin, I've mm-hmm. never released it. I've talked about it and I probably won't ever do it. But it was mostly a social experiment based on the economy that I was seeing inside of prison. And the economy mm-hmm. that I was seeing inside of prison was this like whole black market where the administration runs it completely and there's no yeah. money inside of prison. So obviously you have a black market. What are people yeah. transacting with? They're going to use whatever they have. So the market yep. created this whole alternative currency that was literally packets of fish, like mackerel. Yeah. Um, yep. And I've talked about this so many times, but like the actual, uh, I went into like inflationary supply and I went into um, all the, going through all the, dic- the different economic fallacies yep. and how this didn't break. <laughs> I went through everything and I talked about how this would be a very stable thing if you had like a, a black market island nation that had like yep. one way <laughs> in and out. My currency would be great for them. Um and actually, it had like staking and yield stuff too, but that was all built into yep. it. But uh, I probably won't do it just because um, I don't want to launch a coin. <laughs> I don't want to do that. The vibe sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, no, I could do it and just give it away. Like I wouldn't do a token sale or anything. Yeah. I was just thinking about doing it, yes. but for fun, but like as a social experiment. But I don't know. Maybe down the road. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just like have someone else implement it, and then yeah. just. Like, monitor what happens to it after that, test some of the theories. I think that would be fun. But that's honestly a lot of the, the the projects and the coins and the tokens that you've been seeing out of the past year and a half, were, a yeah. lot of them started as jokes. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. But now we're learning so much from them because you look at like, um, they're looking at the ability for, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Now there's a there's liquidity crisis in all over the world. There's a, a hotel at St. Regis in yeah. Colorado that just tokenized on, yeah. I think it was T0 they did like just recently. Uh, so you're seeing like crazy, amazing things that we've talked about for so long, but now they're happening because there's like a need for it to happen. The market is demanding mm -hmm. these solutions. Yes, absolutely. And do you remember like the first time that you saw CMC? Like, and how do you feel like, you know, that has changed or like, has your impression of like the necessity of it changed over time or like the reason for existence changed over time? I'm going to go back to like my earliest reference to coinmarketcap.com and like every email. <laughs> the earliest reference I have is 2013 when actually your, your CEO. Yeah, Brandon. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I have an email where Brandon asked me for a job at BitInstant. Why didn't I tire him? Really? I swear. My, I'm literally. <laughs> hey, Charlie, it was great for you to meet you uh, at Bitcoin Meetup. Uh, I'm really interested in doing what you guys are doing at BitInstant. I'd love to be a part of it. Attaches my resume in case there are any developer openings. So I emailed it to my COO and I said, is yeah? this guy any good? And he just never responded. Oh, dear. And I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at Brandon's, Brandon's experience is really good. He's good. Oh, man, He's why don't I hire him? But on his resume, don't share, this. Don't share this resume. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. So, okay. oh my God, this is crazy. So he lists his full-time job <laughs> and then yeah. his side project is coin market cap. Exactly. So, yes. <laughs> here you go. Tracks the market caps of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Blank script. I don't want to say what. Generate, yep. you know, he goes into a little bit more details, yep. but I don't want to go. That's yep. so cool. Yep. Okay. So let's go. Let's go to the next it's email. It's a good choice for him. It's a good choice for him. He never got hired. <laughs> right. The next email, someone was asking me if I wanted to buy um, uh, Bitcoin at $300 a coin and Litecoin at $4 a coin. And he referenced coin market cap. And I said, F you, it's too expensive. Uh, <laughs> the next, I know this is crazy. And then it goes into 2014. But I really can't believe that I, that, that email. Wow. And you totally forgot about this until today, right? <laughs> I know. Honestly, didn't, I, I wasn't even paying attention. Um, wow. Why? Interesting. That's insane. Well, well, you know what? It's, I guess it's for the better. Um, it's you for know, the better. <laughs> yeah. So it worked out. It worked out perfectly. But how crazy is that? It did. Yeah. Huh. You learn you <laughs> the coolest things. Yeah. Um, I, I told, know. The funny story with CZ, I tell him that the first email I had with him when he was, uh, he was, uh, running, he was running like the API integrations at blockchain.info. And yeah. do you know the story? Yes. And, uh, he, for those listeners, he, um, it was a really nice email. He wrote me an email as like CZ at blockchain. And he's like, I said, I need the blockchain.info API, but I need a way to like freeze wallets or something like that in case uh, a user mm. is like stealing or it was a scam mm. or something. And this was my limited knowledge of Bitcoin back then. And he <laughs> responds, he goes, uh, he said something like, he said, if you're using Bitcoin for freezing, you're not allowed. This is my impression of CZ and he's, uh, you're not allowed. <laughs> and 
if this is not the essence of Bitcoin, go away or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I forget the exact <laughs> words, but he, like, he took it very personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> For sure. How have you, how have you guys, though. Yeah. how have you guys uh, been, been uh, working with or, or, or viewing your um, different, um, What's a competition, right? Because before it was CMC was the only one for a while, and then you started pivoting. Other companies cropped up. Uh, there's a lot of them now that are doing a lot of the same thing, especially with data. Uh, how do you view them? Yeah, like I do have a list that I track just personally, like all the ones out there. I think there's more than a hundred. Um, but really, if I look at the data for like market share, or I guess the traffic, like CMC still a very, very big majority of all of that. Um, but the way that I think about it, this is like personally, and then I will talk about like what CoinMarketCap's view is. I think like personally, like when I think about like understanding the competition, like you kind of want to understand like where they're coming from, like what makes them tick and things like that. But a lot of it's sort of like driving, looking in the rear view mirror too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. or like your side mirrors. So I've, I think like the best policy is always just like, focus on what users are asking you for and like just do that but i think from the cmt perspective as well like um obviously as you said there are um more and more people who are interested in sort of tracking um these things and uh, like data on on the market and it's not only within um sort of the crypto tracker space but also uh, obviously like news sites are are branching out into tracking their own data as well they have their own indices um, obviously, there are a bunch of other indices that are outside of our normal um, list of names from back in the day. So I think it's normal. And like you said, I think it's healthy that more and more people are coming up and thinking, you know, that's something that we can do. And the funny thing about it is we do have an API that we uh, provide on the site. And I think uh, quite a lot of the people who buy the API are making their own version of CMC. Yeah. So, yeah, that um, I thought was pretty funny, um, but also interesting that, you know, like it's all about the user experience at this point, but also it's all about sort of the, the data that you provide. Right. So last time that we spoke, we spoke about like, you know, the importance of data accuracy, integrity, things like that. But really, I think as more and more new users come into space, what you're looking for is a better user experience. What you're looking for is better access to education. What you're looking for is just ways that they can quickly onboard into the crypto space. And I think that's, you know, sort of going to reach a point where whoever can provide that kind of experience and that kind of info as quickly as possible will win the game. And that's why, you know, sort of we were talking about chat and like AME yeah. and stuff like that. Like all of those are part of the understanding that like more and more people will be looking for those things and looking for new ways to be onboarded. So that's kind but of what you see. Up. Do you see yourselves as gatekeepers because like one zero change in like the supply can fundamentally change everything, right? So you must get, you know, certain coins or tokens that are on purpose trying to change numbers, you know, or, you know, in a, in a, in a fraud way or you, all, but all you also have communities that are, you know, accurate and they want to update the information. And how do you weed through that data? I just, you know, especially in 2017 with the listing with with coin listings and I don't know if you yeah. I don't know if you still do it but the way to update a coin or token is to 
uh, you had a Google Doc right on the site. And I don't know if it's still like that anymore, then please don't hate me. But I'd have CEOs of companies or projects or tokens call me and say, Charlie, how do we like fix the supply or fix the website on CMC? And I'd say, yep. <laughs> honestly, get like your whole community to go on that Google Doc and just get like 100 people. And so I'm so sorry, but it worked. Yeah. It worked. So how internally, <laughs> when you're getting those, you're like freaking Charlie. Like, Charlie, you are the cause. <laughs> it, was, but it was my, but, but so, but at the same time, you are the gatekeepers of that data. So you have to be looking at that specifically. You can't just change that zero. It's extremely important. How do you, how do you handle that? I think that's like definitely one of the toughest parts. And just saying this from like a company that, started as a side project in 2013. I think um, nobody quite expected this sort of um, responsibility, I think. So when we think about like supply, for example, like specifically, right? Like it's really about verifying the information. And that's why we have like analysts that actually have to look over the data, correspond with the team, make sure that, you know, things are or as they seem in the application. So we don't have a form anymore. We uh, Google form anymore. We have a Zendesk form, but <laughs> I think that's more like a process improvement. A lot of it is, it really does come down to um, looking at patterns in sort of like addresses, looking at how they have been distributed, like whether there is some sort of evidence that backs up their claims, because we have had lots of instances where people even attempt to try and change the website, or let's say they're, um, community links or their social links to something that is more nefarious. Yeah. So like things like that, like even those kind of basic stuff, like a lot of people try to hack that and game CMC for that. So for supply, which is obviously a lot more complicated than that, we do see other sort of like things that people do, for example, like um, because circulating means it's in the hands of the public. So uh, we have seen teams that, basically just break up their Yeah, like what, that was a like, big thing. Yeah. Circulating supply yeah. was a big deal in 2017, I remember. Yeah, exactly. So they try to break up their stuff into like 100,000 wallets and say like all of these were distributed to users. So these are in users' hands. But then obviously you can run an algorithm to look at like how they were distributed. Like are these like sort of normal expected behavior? Um, things like that. So I think it's a mix of like hand um, checking the data, but also a mix of like using algorithms that have been built up over time to see like, is this sort of out of the ordinary or is this something that, you know, it's, it seems legit as far as the quest goes. So yeah, I, I think there is a balance. And as far as being a gatekeeper, I think that is sort of what happens when you try to be like a neutral data provider, yeah. like you try your best to do that. But um, something that we say internally a lot is, you know, who watches the watchmen and we try to be as much as possible, like transparent or um, honest and open with people who make those requests. We try to respond as much as possible, as quickly as possible, um, just to make sure that, you know, people understand that there's integrity and there are real people behind it, really looking at uh, the data and taking it very, very seriously. So it's always sort of a balance between all of those things, really. But at what point did you guys um, say, hey, we're like now allowing people to give us this data to update, but you guys weren't really tweeting even on your personal social media, on your company social medias. It was very like a mum company. Uh, no one really knew who the founder was or anything yep. like that. Um, 
it was kind of interesting how you'd have this neutral website that was very uh, kind of uh, dark, not dark. That's a bad term, but uh, <laughs> not as, you know, yeah. no, no faces on the website. Let's leave it at that. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so honestly, that was like the first thing that I pointed out to Brandon when I first met him, like back in the day, like maybe like close to close to three years ago now. And I said to Brandon, this is a site that a lot of people trust and they use every day, but I don't feel like they know who's behind it. And like got a lot of um, sort of feedback that people don't know who's behind it. And so like a big part of why we started doing a lot of the stuff that you said, like tweeting, we're often like talking about stuff like me coming out and, you know, it's kind of addressing issues directly, things like that. I think all of those things were to help people to put a face to the name and to understand like there are real people behind it. Like for example, like Jay from supply is a real guy doing yeah. supply tickets. So <laughs> things like that. Um, and I think it, it has helped a lot. Like when people realize that, you know, it's not just random people in the dark room somewhere <laughs> trying to manipulate anything. It's like, Real people are trying their hardest to to make things right. Um, yeah, it does help a lot just from that transparency perspective. And do you is that still something that uh, is where it is? Yeah, worrisome or uh, more so now, or are things changing? I think more so now. Like um, after kind of like two and a half years of doing this. Um, the team has pretty good sense of like, you know, people appreciate that we do this. Like they appreciate that we're out here talking to them directly and like talking about mm. these issues openly. So um, I hope that you'll always stay that way. Like for me, um, sort of starting the process, it was a little bit difficult. Obviously, you know, uh, Brandon being Brandon, like last November when we had our conference, uh, his first appearance was uh, in the shadows <laughs> with uh, Sunny King. <laughs> so, um, it's, he took some persuasion for sure, but <laughs> well, some, I think now that we're, <laughs> you know, this is, this is what it was. A lot of people very early on, there was a big, there was a big thing. So, so it wasn't, Brandon wasn't the outlier. He was the norm yes. from 2010 yes. to, you know, he almost, he took, took the mantra from Satoshi himself with, uh, exactly. not staying in the shadows, but just, uh, being careful. And mm -hmm. Part of the reason a lot of people look at me now and they they look back and they look at history and they think that I was, uh, you know, the, they give me credit for a lot. And yes, thank you very much. At the same time, yeah. though, one of the reasons that you see my name and my face all over the early days is simply because a lot of people like Brandon or like the founder of Poloniex or um, the founder of Blockchain.info, for example, um, mm -hmm. and I'm not even naming them by, by name on purpose because these are people that have chosen to stay private. Yep. So yep. while those people were really the ones doing the work, but I was out there at the same time. Yeah, I was doing a little bit of work, but I was out there. I was, uh, <laughs> I was putting my face on the website. And one yep. of the reasons, honestly, the, the, what they were afraid of, you know, being in that public spotlight, being an early target, uh, is what I should have realized was a good idea mm -hmm. early on. And because I was one of those mm -hmm. early people that was be able to be looked at, um, I got myself in trouble and it was very stupid. So mm -hmm. he, he definitely wasn't, uh, and there are a lot of people today uh, that were very involved in crypto early on that still remain. And I can't get on this show 
So there is a whole wealth of people, yes, men and women alike, dozens that I would love to get on this show that are behind like all of the early days of crypto. And I've had a bunch of them, um, but, and it's a, it's, they won't come on because they just don't want to, they don't want, they just don't want to be known as just, I sat down with someone once and he said, and he said, Charlie, like, even if we're wrong, 95% 95% and we're right 5% and mm-hmm. this thing becomes 5% of what we think it's going to be. Do you realize how big this will be? Like he was conjuring up images of like the Terminator where the world is ending and there's like robots mm-hmm. and humans fighting. He's like, you're talking mm-hmm. about upending not just a financial system, but the mm-hmm. mere concept of people being able to create something from the bottom up and not top down you have to understand he's like the church has been doing it. Governments have been doing it. Kings have been doing it. God has been doing it. Mm. And I'm like, oh my, I need to get out. It's crazy. Yes. Yes. So that's kind of the, the why a lot of people in the early days, they realized, see, I didn't, they realized how big this was going to be very, very mm. early on. I would have bought more Bitcoin. Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, I know we make fun of each other, but they bought 1% of all the Bitcoins very early on. They did. And they realized- mm-hmm what this was going to be. Yep. And they realized it on a beach chair in Spain. <laughs> it's a true story. Well, it's a true there. story. <laughs> no, I wasn't there. People think I was there. My, my business partner was there. He was the one who actually was, Got it. <laughs> but they called me from the beach. They're like, Charlie, Cameron and Tyler were on the phone and, uh, and, uh, explain to them Bitcoin. And I'm like, uh, it's a digital <laughs> currency that acts as cash. And my girlfriend, my wife now, she grabs the digital currency. Yeah. It's funny. But um, <laughs> so what what can we look forward to uh, with CoinMarketCap going towards the future and uh, pioneering uh, some cool features? Can you give us some hints on some cool features and things that you'll be putting out? Yeah, I think sort of circling back to where we're talking about, like with supply, like, one of the things that we're experimenting with now is a self-reporting dashboard. So instead of us just doing the gatekeeping, I guess you could say, um, we are letting people report their own data. So we will mark them very prominently as like self-reported data. But I think that's one step in the right direction for people to sort of, you know, for our users to compare like what is the, the data that like, uh, CNC is looking at and like what's been reported directly by the project or the exchange. So I think like those um, those um, initiatives that we have are, are around like the alliance thing that we set up, like the data accountability and transparency alliance. Like uh, self-reporting was a big part of that because we definitely believe that it's not just about what we show on the site, but also what the projects want to show on the site or the exchanges want to display on the site and just give a contrast for the end user to pick. But how does self-reporting work? Yeah. How will it work now? Because now like someone will be able to claim their page, right? Is that what I'm understanding? And But then yeah. will so you guys still? So you work still... for all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like obviously some are step. like community. Yeah, it is. It is a huge difference from like, back in the day, like for how we've been doing this for seven years, this is like quite a radical change as far as showing self-reported data. So I think a lot of the questions I was saying are like, oh, you know, what about like decentralized um, projects or things like that? Like, how does it work? Like who's going to be responsible for it? Stuff like that. But I think given the choice, it's still better to have more rather than less information. So I think we still prefer to kind of be on that side, like 
let users have more data rather than less. Um, so I think like that's definitely going to be a big part. So beyond supply, we're going to add a bunch of other fields too, like interesting who's behind it, if, if yeah, they are, are like any jobs, events. Yeah, so I think that's going to be really, really good for the ecosystem. Just like everyone has more transparency overall and they can see, you know, kind of contrasting between different sets of data that they see on the on the same project, right? So I think that's a big one uh, for me. Uh, the other one is obviously on the stuff that we talked about earlier, like social stuff. So um, chat, but also in the future, letting people kind of upvote, downvote, maybe in the future, like predictive markets around prices directly on the site, things like that. Um, I think that's still a little bit far out, but I think sort of the or responses, like the upvoting, downvoting, things like that, that should come pretty soon. Um, the other thing is uh, updating the design. So this, I think, is a little bit like controversial. <laughs> I know, I know. Like that's kind of like where I am at as well. But like, I'm a little bit nervous about it because like everyone's sort of used to where we are at. So yeah, I think we might gradually change a few of the other pages that are not the main page yet, mm. and they will slowly move towards the main page. But even then, I think a lot of this is just like updating, so it looks less like. 2001 and more like 2020. <laughs> no, this would be great. Can you guys do this? No one has done this before, but I would love to see like the ability to go to like 2010.coinmarketcap.com and like see oh, older yeah. versions <laughs> and kind of like like working snapshots in time. Let yeah. people see that. You know, I yeah. wonder if I would do a bounty to anyone listening to this show, create like two or three working versions of snapshotted coin market cap like 2011 or 2012, uh, yeah. 2015, 2017. <laughs> yeah. Give me like someone do a bounty. I'll, I'll, I'll pay. I don't know. CZ will match it. We'll figure it out. You guys. <laughs> awesome. Caroline, thank you so much for coming yeah. on this show. Untold stories. And uh, thank you, Charlie. Really looking forward to things that you guys are doing. <laughs>